0: Show you a better way Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is episode 2623 of the Survival Podcast. I'm calling today's show COVID Solutions, Engaging Future Opportunities. We're going to be talking about three main things today. Here we go. We're going to talk about... First, the coloquin treatment and more data that I have on it, including at least one of the reasons that it works. Now I want to be real clear today. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist. I'm just a pretty smart guy that can pay attention to data and get information for people and people tell me things that maybe you can't find out in the general public sometimes. I do have some connected sources and I do have some more information on, not only the fact that this stuff's already being used more than you're being told by the media. Um, but there's some promising responses to it. And I've got some more information, again, about one of the reasons it might work and why that leads me to believe that it may be possible for you to replicate at least part of it on your own with no pharmaceuticals, no prescriptions, no anything. I'm not claiming you can. I'm just going to give you the data that I have and let you make your decision for your family the way I've made my decision for my family because what, the, the way I look at this is, If something is low risk, high reward, or no risk, potentially high reward, eh, you kind of want to maybe consider at least doing that or at least having it around in case you end up in what I'm going to call kind of the donut hole here. I I think there's going to be um, really rapid uptake on this treatment. It's not going to work for everyone. Some people probably can't take it, and I think it's going to be really important, the stage of the illness, that it gets used. But if it gets used early on, I think for most people, it is going to create rapid remission. And and that's great. But there's a foot-dragging thing here, and there's a resource availability. It's two things, and we need to be clear on that. And it may not get as rapidly adapted in some places as in others. And I'm going to give you a lot of information on this today. Next I'm going to go into my world of my crazy brain and I w- have have you ever asked yourself what is the purpose of a virus? I asked a medical doctor last night, what is the purpose of a virus? He gave me the same answer most medical doctors will give you, to replicate itself. Okay. So what purpose does it serve? Have you ever asked yourself that? We're going to examine that today. That's going to be pure Total, 100% speculation in my brain. I'm going to warn you all, some of you are going to be offended by what I'm going to say, but that's only if you don't listen or don't listen to all of it. Because it's just theory and it has nothing to do with whether or not we take care of people. In fact, it's a compulsion to take care of people. If anybody tells you otherwise because somebody misrepresents what I have to say today, please correct them. And then third, I'm going to end with kind of why... I try to take the approach of being a fire marshal. Why it's hard to be a fire marshal when the fire is actually burning. That what fire marshals do is prevent the building from being fully involved in flame. But how you can translate to that what you should be doing now anyway. And we're going to talk about recovery opportunities because this is going to end. Don't listen to the doomsday people that are like, this is the end of civilization. No, it's not. No, it's not. The worst case scenario is not the end of civilization. There's a point where if you can't stop it with, with quarantine and social distancing... And, and, and 2% of people together are going to die, then that's what happens. That sucks. But one way or another, 98% or more of us are going to go on, and it's going to be more than that based on everything we already know. right? If South Korea can beat this, the United States of America can beat this, and there's going to be some real opportunities going forward. So I want to end today with what those opportunities are, because I think right now some of y'all, maybe, maybe when this is over, you don't go back to your old job. Wouldn't it be a good idea to have a plan to already be thinking about what you can do and how you can take advantage of what I think is going to be an incredible opportunity? Because when this is over, everybody's not going to sit around and go, gee, you know, the world was nice before this, but now let's not put it back together. People are going to want stuff. People are going to want to do stuff. People are, people are caged up right now. and you let them out, they're going to do what everybody does when they get out of jail. They're going to go out and enjoy life with a new vigor, and that's going to create opportunities. So it's going to be an uplifting show today. All right, before we do that, let me just remind you we do have a couple sponsors I want to mention today. My sponsors have supported this show for 12 years, most of them. Um, that's a long time in the world of podcasting, so think about them when you need something. The uh, sponsor of the day number one today is Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. His website is directive21.com. Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. You know, if you have a good water filter in your home, you're probably not out buying cases of water right now. I haven't bought a case of bottled water for anything other than a workshop in a very long time. Um, we drink our own water out of our own well. It goes through our Berkey. It tastes great. It's a very, very affordable system. And, hey, you know what? We haven't had anybody without grid water um, due to COVID anyway. I mean, there's other reasons your, your grid water goes down. Just think about this from water filtration, though. You know when you get a boil water advisory? Yeah, when they do that, there was already a problem. Then they found it. Then you start see what I'm saying. So water filtration is a great idea. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. Now, I don't think you're going to be putting a knife together right now to go fight the COVID zombies or anything, but you might be bored and not have a lot to do. Um, KnifeKits.com, last time I checked, is still shipping. And maybe you get a knife kit or a couple knife kits, maybe some sheath kits some stuff like that. And when you're bored at home with the kids... Teach them a new skill. Knife, you know, knife making can turn into a side hustle, full time business, or just a lifetime hobby. Check them out today, knifekits.com. All right, with that, let's uh, let's dig on into this. I want to start out with what I have learned over the weekend about uh, chloroquine or chloroquine. I'm sorry, I always say that wrong because I'm a redneck. Chloroquine, specifically hydroxychloroquine. And one of the ways, at least, that it is being used to fight COVID, and I say one, and it may be the only one, or it may be one way of multiple ways. I don't really know. I don't think anybody really knows. What we do know is that this is being used, it's being given to people, and it does work. We know that it works. Anybody that tells you we don't have any proof that it works is either misinformed or being inaccurate. That's as nice as I can put it. Most of them are misinformed. I'm a big believer and never attribute to malice that which can be explained through incompetence or ignorance. And a lot of people are just repeating what they're hearing here. But there's an article out today. Unfortunately, it's all in Korean. I had a trusted source tell me what it says, though. And basically, South Korea has been using chloroquine heavily since February and has plenty of data that it works, in addition to all these other studies. But I started asking myself, well, why does it work? And at least one of the reasons it works, and in the video notes when I'm done streaming, you should be able to find this, and in my uh, notes for the podcast itself at the survivalpodcast.com, I have links to everything that I'm about to provide you in this section of the show. So don't take my word for it. Go look at the professionally presented scientific data. The first thing I want you to look at, though, is a video by a doctor, a medical doctor, that explains how uh, chloroquine works in combination with the very simple supplement you can take anyway called zinc to help fight coronaviruses. And... When I watched this video, I had kind of a light bulb moment, and I'll explain how it all connects. Again, you have to take this data, and you have to decide what you want to do with it. I can't tell you, like, this works. I don't even know, like, it's not because I'm not allowed to. I don't know if this totality will work or not, where I'm going to go with this. But I just have a reason to believe that it may be helpful, and I want you to know about it. But this is is what we do know. One of the reasons that hydroxychloroquine works is it acts as what's known as um, a zinc ionophore. A zinc ionophore. That's a very complicated sounding word. But what it means is your cells are actually pretty difficult for zinc to get inside of. It just they, it, Zinc in your body is one thing. Inside your cells is another. Now, once we get zinc into the cells... Any virus that is what 's known as an RNA okay an RNA uh, replicating virus when you put zinc in the cells, it slows and or can even stop viral replication. But I want to be clear, your body can be flooded with zinc, and only the zinc that gets inside the cell can actually interfere with the viral replication as I understand again, watch this video by this doctor who explains this well, it turns out that of other things that it does, hydroxychloroquine is a zinc ionophore, meaning it helps get zinc into your cells. Now, the next piece of this, there's a doctor who's treating the Jewish community in New York. And he doesn't have any time for anybody to tell him about, you know, the FDA doesn't approve this yet, because a doctor, as long as the drug's available, and that's, I think... I'm going to be fair to the government here in a minute explain why I think they're being a little quieter about this than I would like them to be. There, there is also maybe some good reason for that. But this doctor has been treating his patients, and again, he's a Hasidic Jew, so they are very big on community. They go to their own doctors, they have their own community, whatever. because they're so tied to community that they've had a lot of spread. New York is the epicenter of this. New York has almost as many cases as the entire rest of the country put together. And he's treated, in his own words, now I can't verify this, but I just don't see where this man would lie about this. He made a a video directly to President Trump, and he says he has treated over 600 COVID-positive patients and had zero hospitalizations. Again, this is a practicing medical doctor treating the Jewish community in New York Claims to have treated over 600 COVID-positive patients. Now, whether he's diagnosed those as probably COVID or tested them, I don't know. But I do know that testing is going on way more in some areas than you're being told. And way less in others. And I can't explain that. I know that testing in Washington is barely happening, Washington State. But I know that, like, small medical clinics in, in my area of Texas are running COVID tests today in patient, you know, like, in a regular clinic, which kind of disturbs me. I'd prefer they do it as drive through So there's a lot more testing from some places than others going on. So he may have, in fact, actually got positive test results on this. I don't know, but he claims 600 people. All he's treating with is COVID, I'm sorry, uh, chloroquine and zinc and zero hospitalizations. Now, as I started to think about this, I have been advising my audience to take a supplement called q And I've been advising my people to take this for over a month now. I, take, I want to be clear as well, and I'm advising you that you consider taking it. I can't prescribe it to you. I'm not saying it treats or cures any illness. But what it is taken for is immune support, is one of the things that it's taken for. I'm taking it because my doctor, um, who I work with on my blood panel results and all, has me on a regime of supplements, has had me on this since August anyway. And so I was familiar with it. Well, research came out from a Montreal doctor who did work on the SARS epidemic and said QCERTIN was useful in the treatment of SARS. And he said it should work for COVID, too. He's doing research on it right now. Again, all of this, there are links to in my notes today for you. So you can read this for yourself. But his upshot was, hey, q works for this. Well... What I've wondered from the very beginning, and my approach has been, look, if Q-Certin works, it works. If it doesn't work, it's a good supplement anyway. I take it anyway. So it can't hurt. Maybe you should be taking it. But when I took these two pieces of information and I put them together, hydroxychloroquine acting as a zinc ionophore, forcing zinc into the cells. And let's talk a little bit about how, what the virus does once it's inside a cell. So what happens is the coronavirus attaches to, um, basically, it's called an ACE2 portion of your cell. And it attaches to your cell, and it injects itself into your cell. And then it hijacks your RNA. So the way your body normally uses RNA is your, a, a structure of DNA in one of your cells actually opens up. The, your, your, your helix, it's two pieces, two strands together, it opens up and the RNA, I know it's going back to like 8th grade biology, but it's important here, that RNA strand comes in and it makes a copy of that, and it goes and it uses that to make more DNA elsewhere. Well, what happens is the virus hijacks that, and it attaches itself to your RNA inside your cell, and it starts replicating that RNA strand, on a, makes it one direction positive and one direction negative, and it keeps doing that. Eventually it uses your own RNA to produce a whole bunch of new coronaviruses, baby coronaviruses. And eventually that cell pops like a balloon. And all of those new viruses come out of that cell and go to new cells. Now, part of why people are having such a hard time with these cytokine storms and things where the immune system seems like it's attacking you and and damages their lungs is your, your immune system can't really go get the individual virus and kill it. What it has to do is identify one of your cells and say, this cell's infected. And it kills the virus and disrupts the process by killing that entire cell. So the less cells that are infected, the less hyperimmune response you get, and the more likely you are to quickly recover. The number one way we can do this is to stop that replication process, or at least slow it down, so the immune system has time to take care of what the immune system does. We are our own best cure when you get zinc into the cells, and this is known scientific data, you can look at all the information for yourself, the viral replication process is dramatically slowed down. This is, and this is not new science. This is not anything anybody doesn't already know in the world of medicine. We already know this. It's why zinc seems to work, but maybe not as good as you would expect it to. Because you can take an ass load of zinc... And if it doesn't go inside the cell wall, all of this good stuff that it can do doesn't happen. Now, if you just take a lot of zinc, it can begin to up the internals, and research shows that too, but it's nowhere near as effective as when we add, again, something called a zinc ionophore. So my question was, is q a zinc ionophore? The answer, yes. q is a zinc ionophore. Does it work as good as hydroxychloroquine? Probably not. But it it works. Additionally, so I, when I looked this up, I found a scientific study. It was done on mice, to be clear. And we are not mices, right? We are humans, not mices. I know mices is not a real word. I'm trying to add some humor here, okay? All right. So they gave these mice to certain and they gave them a really complicated word that starts with an E that's like 20 syllables, And I looked that up and said, well, what is that? It's green tea extract. They gave them both. And apparently both are zinc ionophores. And it showed a dramatic uptake in zinc inside the cells by including a zinc supplement plus Q-Certain plus green tea extract. Which one works better? Don't know. Do you need both of them? Don't know. I believe both of them probably work, and the two together probably work better. So I've made a decision for my family. I am not a doctor. I cannot prescribe this. I can't tell you this works. I don't even know if it works. But I know that more zinc inside my cells equals better ability of my body to disrupt viral replication. That is a known. The only question is how do we get the zinc into the cells? Okay? And we know that at least one of the ways. Now, hydroxychloroquine, I want to be clear. As an anti-malarial, right, it may do some other things. It may do things that this natural alternative doesn't do. I don't know. They're giving it in conjunction with zinc early on. They're also giving it with something called the ZPAC, which is an antibiotic, which does not fight viruses. But in more advanced states, it's helping fighting secondary infections in lungs. Apparently, when you put the two together, you really need to be monitored because there's some potential for interaction. But I have checked with several people I have checked with a person that manufactures pharmaceuticals and oversees quality assurance. I have checked with a, uh, a doctor that works almost exclusively with supplements. And I've tra- checked with our own Dr. Bones, who is a medical doctor. And all three of them say there's really no way you can hurt yourself taking green tea extract, Q-Certain, and zinc as long as you don't exceed recommended dosage. So the problem here, q is well known. And it's harder to find right now than it has been recently. But you can still get it a few weeks out. Green tea extract. I'm not putting this out in print. I'm not writing an article on this. I am only doing this on the podcast because I don't want to create a run on anything. Um, And it's probably going to do it anyway. But right now, green tea extract is easy. We ordered some. We had it in three days off Amazon. Okay? Zinc. Everybody knows that zinc has some benefit. Everybody. Zinc is in short supply. And we also don't want to create a run on the supply lines for zinc because it looks like they're going to need zinc to go with the chloroquine to treat people in the medical system that are known positive. So what I did is I got enough zinc and quercetin, and green tea extract to take a small amount every day for me and my family. And to still have a pretty good reserve that if one of us does happen to test positive and they're not ready to give this other treatment to us yet, that we can up that. That's what I've done. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm not saying it definitely works. I am saying the hydroxychloroquine is known to work. The only question, again, is how well for how many people? And in some instances, it looks like it's almost everybody that can take it. I want to say something before I move on from here, though that I, I think is really important, about a really sick, disgusting, I mean literally should make you want to vomit, um, blockage of this information and a crapping on this information and a downplaying of this information. There are people digging up any side effects that they can find on chloroquine. I want you to understand, first of all, chloroquine is... a a generic term being thrown around for a class of drugs that contain chloroquine. And there are many different versions of this drug. The one that they're using is called hydroxychloroquine, and it has the least side effects of all of those drugs from that family. The reason we know that is we've been using this since 1940-frickin-8. Hundreds of millions of people have taken this medication. Does it have side effects? Yes. You know what else has side effects? Aspirin. You know it has side effects. Motrin. I'm not saying they're equivalent. I'm just saying every medication that you can take, Tylenol has side effects. Freaking penicillin will kill me because I'm allergic to it. Okay, so every medication has side effects. Next, the the big cases of like there's an article out about poisoning today in Africa from malarial drugs. Okay, that's because people that don't know how to read a label take twenty of them. Go take go take twenty of any prescription med out there, and you're probably gonna you're gonna poison yourself. All drugs are to some degree a toxin. It's how they work. I took this medication for over 180 consecutive days as a prophylactic. That means as a protection against malaria while deployed to Honduras. I did that with over 500 fellow soldiers behind, beside me who took it all the time. We took it every week, and nobody had any major side effects. Most of the side effects and things are from long duration. Now, some really elderly people, some people with certain health conditions, etc., can't take it. Okay, doesn't matter. If you can give this to 95% of people and take them out of the system, that does a lot to stop this overload that we're so worried about. And if we can get this going, we're probably talking a few weeks before we can start to have less restrictions on our economy and get people with basic social distancing putting things back together. And this is a sickness in people's head to push back against this and scare people about taking this medication. I believe right now the only reason you're not hearing more about it is a supply line issue. Because they need, for some people that are in really advanced states already, they need this and other medications. And for people to be able to take this to suppress symptoms and to quickly clear versus long-term clear, they need apparently to take it with zinc. And it needs to start early. One manufacturer is committed to 30 million doses of this in the next 30 days, but their first deliveries are at the end of the month. Another manufacturer is committed to millions. And I know that their public numbers are lower than their actually expected production numbers. And there's at least three drug makers making this stuff in the millions of doses. There's a reason they're doing that. It's not a lie. They're not tricking you. It's not, well, Trump just wants to trump stuff up. It's not any of that stuff. The data about this is not from Trump. Trump's repeating data. The data about this is from doctors. Again, we had an article come out from Korea today that basically said they've been using this as a standard of care since February. By the way, they're the nation with the under 1% death rate from this. You know who's not using it all? Italy. We need to learn from this. I have heard... These are, this is additional stuff from my personal sources about this. I heard from one trusted source. It's already being used in Detroit. And his words exactly, the lady heading it up, I have no idea who that is, the lady heading it up says the results are already promising. Governor Cuomo, who's not exactly a Trump ally, this weekend stated they will start using it on a thousand patients in New York Tuesday. That's tomorrow. And that it looks very promising This is from a top Democrat governor. This is the other side of the political aisle. This crap, suppressing this information and scaring people, that like you're going to die if you take this or you're going to kill your family if you take this, is reprehensible and sick. Anybody that's a long-term listener knows I am not a huge fan of Big Pharma. But they are the solution to this right now. There's a lot of things Big Pharma does, and I'm sure when this is all over, I will have accolades for them, and I will still take them to the woodshed on some of the other things they do. Because when trillions of dollars get involved, all kinds of bad things happen. But again, this is a medication that has been around since the 1940s. It's been taken by millions and millions of people. We know how much to give people. We know what side effects to look out for, and we know what to do if they happen. There is is nothing unknown about the use of chloroquine. Now, how it's going to work for COVID remains to be seen. And again, my opinion is the only thing that remains to be seen is how effective for how many people. But it is effective. We know it's effective because every doctor that's used it says, by the way, it's effective. The Australian doctor that started using it said it is not a stretch to call it a cure. That's a doctor's words, not mine. That's not a politician's words. That's a doctor who took his patients and said, "I'm going to take this data that's coming from from China, even though I'm not sure about it, and I'm going to try it because I have nothing to lose." And that's the big thing here. This medication, side effects, schmide effects. When we're talking about a six to fifteen day course of the medication in a known dosage, with seven decades of data, no, it's as safe as any other significant pharmaceutical intervention, in my opinion. All right. Anyway. Let's move on from there. I want to talk to you guys about something today. But again, real quick, just before I go on, I don't have specific dosage uh, recommendations. I couldn't do it anyway if I wanted to. I can tell you that um, WebMD says the maximum amount of q certain is 1,000 milligrams a day in two doses. Right, So that's what M- WebMD says. You need to make your own decision on dosage. I have no idea. But you need to make sure you're not taking too much of anything. But green tea extract, Q-Certin, and zinc seem like a reasonable precaution to take in my opinion. All right, now let's go into Jack's crazy brain theory. I want to be real clear here. I am not saying anything to the effect of, if somebody gets this, we should just let whatever happens, happens. Because I'm going to use a a scary word here in a minute, and it's a, a word that scientists use all the time, but if we apply it to a virus, it might get scary. But I'm just one of these people, I think... You know, And I don't talk about this a lot, but I'm going to tell you guys, I'm smarter than most people think. Remember, Sheldon Cooper said my mother had me tested. Uh, Yeah, my uh, my school had me tested. And I'm a pretty smart guy. I'll just leave it at that. And so whenever I see a problem, I think as a systems thinker and I think as a troubleshooter. That's why I love permaculture, because it's systems-level thinking. And it's troubleshooting. We have this problem or this restriction. How do we design around it? So I woke up a few days ago, you know, I woke up and it was too early to really get out of bed. I mean, it was pitch black out and I wanted to go back to sleep and I couldn't because I'm thinking about all this. And I, a question just kept coming to me. What is the purpose of a virus? Why do viruses exist in the first place? And I said, OK, well, I, the, I can't really answer that question because every doctor I've ever asked gave me the same answer I got last night. Every scientist I ever asked gave me the, the same answer I got last night when I asked a doctor again. What's the purpose of a virus? To replicate itself. That's the only answer that I ever get as to what the purpose of a virus is. Well what, what purpose does that serve the planet? What purpose does that serve other life? What purpose does that serve ecosystems? What purpose is there? So then I say, well, let's shelve that for a second. And let's ask a different question. What are the functions of biological organisms on the planet? What and, and how few can we use because you can come up with a thousand right? but how can we, can we go down to every organism is one of these things or more than one of these things and these things all are all things we can look at and go yeah that kind of contributes to the entire global ecosystem the entire global web of life well the easy one the first one that you can have a, an organism be is a predator so a lion kills an antelope Cat kills a bird, right? Coyote kills a a rat or a rabbit and eats it. Now, it's not very good for the rabbit or for the gazelle or for the bird uh, directly because, well, it's dead and it got eaten. But predators serve a role. Nobody with a brain wants to eradicate all predators from the planet. And by the way, humans are predators. And if we expand the definition of predator a little bit, You know, herbivores are predators because they consume living things. Cows maintain grasslands if they're managed properly. Buffalo, pursued by predators, move in mobs and actually make grasslands more productive. By eating the grass, they actually make more and healthier grass. So predation, whether it's an animal that eats insects or an insect that eats other insects or a microbe that feeds on other microbes, we can look at that and say, this makes sense. It's a good thing this is here. Without this, we'd have overpopulations, disease, death, uh, and, and you know things wouldn't move along the way that they move along. So it makes it makes perfect sense that we need predators in our system, and that's their function. So then that's really easy to figure out what's the next function of an organism: prey, right? Prey to be prey. If you don't have any prey, if you don't have anything for other organisms to eat then they can't live either, and all life ceases to exist. And many organisms are predator and prey. The bird that is prey to the cat is predator through the insects and worms and other critters. So that's I'm not going to go very long on the prey, because that's the easy one to understand. And what is the purpose of prey? To be consumed. So to have something eat you. That's the purpose of prey. You know what? Viruses are not predators, and they're not prey. Nothing really eats a virus. Your immune system may attack viruses, but nothing's like I want to find a virus to eat today. Doesn't doesn't happen. It doesn't serve that purpose, and it's not a predator. Viruses replicate themselves. They cause you know a lot of viruses that that infect an organism don't seem to really do anything uh, negative anyway, or they're just kind of neutral. They they don't really prey on anything, and nothing really preys on them, so they're not predator prey. So what's the next one? Bioaccumulation bioaccumulation what's that mean well you have this great big giant orb called the sun and we have these massive numbers of solar panels out there we call plants and they grow and they accumulate biomass some of that biomass is edible so that predators can consume it see i'm expanding the word predator here again instead of the conventional but they provide food that way so that would make them prey but there's a lot of material that these organisms produce that nothing eats Not while it's alive anyway, because that'll bring us to our next function of an organism. But there are trees that grow that really nothing eats their leaves, nothing eats their wood, their sticks, their stems, and there's no fruit or mast that they provide. There's all kinds of plants that nothing eats. They still serve a function because they accumulate biomass. And if you think about it, the accumulation of biomass itself is a function because of however it's used. But eventually, that biomass is used to build soil. And we owe all life on the planet to a few inches of soil and the fact that it rains. That's, that's a well-known precept of, of ecology. Without topsoil and rain, we wouldn't have life on Earth. Certainly not as we know it. So the last function of an organism is to decompose. So when that tree falls, hits the, the forest floor... Almost immediately once it's dead. Fungi and bacteria colonize it and decompose it and eventually become soil and its minerals and nutrients that it mined from the earth become available to other organisms. Viruses don't do that either. Viruses don't decompose. They just replicate. And really, if you think about it, any organism can be broken down into one of those or multiples of those. They are either predator, prey, bioaccumulator, and decomposer. That's it. The only thing that I can't think of in my crazy mind that doesn't do one or multiples of those things is a virus. So I sat there, and I said, Jack, what's the purpose of a virus? You're smart. I figured this out. I came up with a new classification, a fifth. And, and a lot of other organisms do this one, too. But maybe viruses only do this one. And evolutionary, viruses force evolution as a process. Now, like I said, some of you are be like, oh, he's just saying let sick people die. No, no, because evolution includes things like learning how to make tools. Medicine would be a tool. I think the good news here is that we can cheat that or we can learn from it. Maybe that's part of the evolution of our species as well. But I, I, I talked to Doc Bones about this last night. He said it's very interesting because there's a study where they went into a stem cell a stem cell in the human body which is a cell that can make anything else your body needs and they looked at the DNA of the stem cell and when they analyzed the genome of the DNA of the stem cell they said this piece of the sequence is viral DNA somewhere throughout humanity a virus infected humanity and left this thing behind. That must be inert. It must not do anything. If it's, if it's not from humans, so they threw a switch in the laboratory and they shut it off. And I don't remember what it was, but that stem cell that could make basically anything for the body was then only able to make one thing from the body. Meaning that part of what we are Exists because a virus changed our DNA. Now this is where it gets really interesting when you start thinking about it that way. If you look at somebody like a Monsanto that does genetic modification of plants, not the only way, but one of the ways that they genetically modify the DNA of a seed stock to produce a new trait in a seed, let's say a corn or a cotton seed or something like that that there is no good reason for those genes to ever change. So they might even take it. Like, there is actually a GMO cotton. They took the genetic information from a fish, and they put it into cottonseed for a specific thing they wanted to happen. I don't remember what. Do you know how they do that? They use a transmogenic virus. They use a transmogenic virus. And what that means is that virus is actually able to take the genetic details from here and use messenger RNA to change the genetics over here. This could be very bad for humanity or could be good. We don't know, but we may be going through some level of evolution right now. And unlike humans, who one of our evolutionary traits and what's made us so successful as a species is most of us value all life as sacred. All life is worth preserving. Genetics don't work that way. It's literally heartless. It doesn't care. It just does. And it may be it may be why this totally again, this whole segment of the show is total speculation. But it may be why younger people are so little effective and older people aren't. Maybe we're going through some sort of viral mutation that's altering our species. And that's not good or bad, it is. And it could be bad, who knows? What is the possibility? I mean, when you start thinking about that, we what if what if we're too populous as far as evolution is concerned? You don't have to kill people to reduce population. What if we find out years from now that a lot of these young people that are getting infected that don't even show symptoms? What if they become sterile or just become less capable of reproduction? I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know this. Or what if we're starting to fall off that demographic bomb on the other side and it makes them more... I don't know. I don't know, but I, I, I do know that the only thing that I can come up with as to the purpose of a virus, based on everything I've been told, is evolutionary. That doesn't make it any better or any worse. And I just thought it would be an interesting discussion to get some people's minds going. Because if we get that mentality going into the work of scientists and doctors, they may find more ways to deal with it and treat it. When you actually understand what's what's happening, it becomes easier to deal with what's happening, if that makes sense. All we know right now is we have this new novel virus that, that hurts a lot of people. In some ways, that's that's mostly what we know. We also know we have a treatment that works. And we know that treatment is going to continue to be used in greater and greater numbers. We know that. We know that no matter what, this will end. Eventually, either almost everybody gets it, and those of us who survive do, and those of us who don't, don't. By the way, I would be in a high-risk group just on age. Not super high-risk, but much higher-risk than most people. I'm in the older demographic now. See all the gray and the beard for those of you on Facebook? And that could be me. I'm doing everything I can to avoid as much contact as I can and avoid having this illness. And I especially want to encourage you, this 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 information we have about treatments, remember, you could be the person that when you get sick, your doctor looks at your history or something and says, you can't take this. So don't just think that it's going to be there for you. I think for most people it will. But you also don't want to get sick in the next freaking two weeks or three weeks. I don't know how long it's going to take them to get this to where it's just, hey, you have this, take this. And I don't know if, how, how fast doctors in their heads can get there as well. And, I mean, if the FDA comes out tomorrow and says, do this, they'll do it. But a lot of them, they don't want to act. And it's crazy because off, off-label use of prescription medications is nothing new. Any doctor who has access to this medication that believes it can help their patient can write a prescription for it. They don't need anybody to give them permission to do it. Again, I invite you to look at the video by the Jewish doctor. But let's, let's accept that, that this too shall pass that eventually this will end, okay? Let's talk about some recovery opportunities. But first, I want to start out with my limitation right now. And I want to say something I've said a few times, and I want to keep saying it because I owe this to you guys. I never thought I would get this bad, and I was wrong, right? And, I mean, it's pretty simple. When you say, I never thought it would get this bad, clearly you were wrong. And I thought two months ago, there's no way we're going to end up where we are now. And I should have been able to see it. And I'm sorry that I wasn't. But I was still saying at that time, even if it happens, what are you going to do other than to have minimum 30, hopefully at least 60 day readiness plan? That's what I've been teaching. And I am not you know, a doctor or a scientist or a first responder. And if we look into that world, the most close analogy to what I am, it would be like your fire marshal. So when your building's on fire, you don't call the fire marshal. You call the fire department, call 911, and they send firefighters to put the fire out. Well, when you have COVID, you don't call the fire marshal. You go to a hospital, you go to a doctor, and they treat your symptoms, right? They try to treat your condition. And the time to talk to the fire marshal is before there's a fire, so that you can do things that even if there is a fire, it mitigates them. And what we need to be doing in this society is we need to be developing the mindset that every American should be able to go home and stay there for 60 days for whatever reason. For whatever reason. And hopefully, most of the time, if it ever happens, it's actually a small number of people at one time that have to do it. And we've been spoiled because we live in a very generous country where generally when people are having a hard time, somebody helps them. But we need a new concept of strategic reserves. Imagine how much better off we would be right now if every American, let's say 90% of Americans had at least 30 days, and at least half of those had 60 days of wherewithal, that they could just stay home and say, you know what, it's just not doing it. I got money, I got food. And, you know, I'm not talking about being rich. I'm not, I got enough money to pay my bills for a couple months. I got enough food to feed my family for a couple months. I have enough food to feed my animals for a couple months. I have enough maintenance medication, you know, if I'm on maintenance medication to take care of myself for a couple months. I just have two months worth of stability. That's what I've been teaching for 12 years. That's the basic fundamental. And then we've branched off to all these other ways that you can enhance that. A lot of it with what we call permaculture and homesteading. And right now it amazes me that. Like, the hardest thing to get in some of the grocery stores is vegetables, which are not a source of calories, they're a source of nutrition. And we don't even have to worry about it. I can produce more vegetables than my family can eat. And that's part of what we teach. But if you need help now, you know, you can do some things, but that's not the easiest thing to do, is it? You need to figure out how to get through now. So, if you're, if you're watching this or listening to this today, and this is my, your first exposure to me, I'm going to encourage you again to go listen to episode 2622, which was Friday's episode, because it's all meat and potatoes, nuts and bolts. This is what to do if you were caught unaware or partially unaware. A lot of my audience, maybe they were getting started, they're only up to two weeks, now what do I do? I've covered that last, you know, the last show, so I don't want to go through the whole thing again today. But I do want to start off from that standpoint of, Again, I'm sorry I was wrong and I didn't see this coming to the degree that it did. Of all people, I should have. You can go back and listen to an episode I did on pandemics back in like 2013. And what I describe as the reaction of government is exactly what you see now. It's not that I ever didn't think that government would do what it's doing now. I didn't think this would be enough to get government to lock things down the way that they're doing. I didn't think this was bad enough. And I was, again, I'm sorry I was wrong. But that's the, they're doing this because it's what they can do. It's the only thing that they can do. And the only thing that you can do to be prepared for it is be able to take care of yourself. But I think what's happening right now, and this leads us to what we're closing with today, which is opportunities. As we, And I'm not talking about parasites that are selling shit that used to be a dollar and they're selling it on eBay now for 12 bucks a, a unit. That's not what I mean when I say opportunity. I'm not talking about profiteering. I'm talking about this will end. And what what do we look like? And this is, boy, you know, it's hard when you tell somebody, you know, the good to come from something, especially when that person might have lost somebody or had somebody seriously impacted by this. But no matter how bad things are, there's always other things that come from it. And what's good about COVID is at least three, to a degree, four generations who have never really been tested by anything. Are being tested. And from time to time, maybe for our own good as evolution of the species, we need to be tested so we don't become too comfortable. And look, I understand that boomers fought the Vietnam War. I understand that my generation, you know, fought the wars in the Middle East. I understand a lot of people today went through the uh, stagflation of the seventies and the recession that went with that. There's a lot of things that have happened. And it ain't been that great. dot com bust, stock market drop in 2008. But we've never been tested the way the World War II and Depression generations have been tested. We've never, we've never, don't fool yourself. Don't let the people on TV calling the recession 2008 the Great Recession fool you. You are not being tested the way that your great grandparents were during the Great Depression. You're not being tested. The way that a whole generation was tested with World War II. When the whole country had rations on what they could buy. You're not being tested. You haven't been tested till now. The way that your great-grandparents were during Spanish influenza in World War One. We've never been tested like this. And we look back at those people. And I think most of us have a tremendous amount of gratitude to them that they fought their way through that that they made the world a better place for us for us and we have a tremendous amount of respect i think back to my two grandfathers who were young men in the great depression grew into young adults and went to world war 2 who fought world war 2 and came home and contributed to the greatest expansion this nation has ever seen. I think of my great-grandfather who fought World War I for the United States, who was a first-generation immigrant from the Ukraine. In fact, my grandfather on that side, his, his father brought him here. So they were both actually first-generation immigrants. And and they each fought a different world war. And we're being tested. And that's not necessarily something bad. Because when we come out of this on the other side, voices like mine that have cra- seemed crazy to a lot of people, be prepared. Be able to stay in your home for 60 days. People actually thought that was... Doomsday Prepper language, not very long ago. The world is changing, in some ways for the worse, and I'm going to tell you in some ways for the better. We are going to be better for this in the long term, despite the pain. Just like our great-grandparents were better for what they went through, and our grandparents were better for what they went through. And they didn't all make it. That's part of being tested. If everybody made it, if everybody was fine, wouldn't be a test. But as we come into this recovery, here's some things that I see that are going to present a lot of opportunities for people. Number one, I think manufacturing in the United States is going to return in a huge way. People that fell deaf to the idea that we needed to make things in America, they just woke up. Much of what you cannot get right now, much of what is in short supply is because we haven't been making it in America. And to be fair to other countries shouldn't they take care of their own first? I mean, if you say if you say America should care for Americans first and then care for as many others as we can but we should fix our own problems shouldn't every other nation do that? Well, they're doing it. So everything like just direct like M95 masks personal protective equipment that our first responders do not have right now respirators that save lives are in short supply because we're not making them in America. And right now Businesses in America are saying, we can do that. We'll do it. We need to get this done as quickly as possible. We need to not lose sight of it. Next, almost everyone's going to be a prepper after this. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. There's going to be plenty of people that still live way too easy without enough forethought and foreplanning. There, there really will be. And there's going to be places in this country That are not anywhere near as heavily hit as others. Some of that will be climate. Some of that's just population density. Once this really took off here, man, the first thing I said is New York City. Oh my God, New York and the surrounding boroughs. Oh my God, and I said before it's going to explode there, just on population density. When they were like no no meetings bigger than 500 people in New York City, I was like, oh my, I, I posted on Facebook like, really. Have you ever been in New York City? When I say a block here, I'm not even talking about the whole, like, all four corners of the block. I'm just talking about one side of the block. I don't know, a quarter block, I guess you'd call it. Like, the one street on one one of the four sides of the block. One street. In most places in New York City, while business is normal is going on, there's 500 people there. I mean, and you look at the size of apartments, you look at how close everybody is. I knew it was going to be bad in New York once we realized how bad this thing was. So New York City is going to be hit harder than Dallas and Fort Worth, where I live. But we're going to be hit harder than people that live out in the sticks, just, just because spread is person to person mostly. Now, this is not like measles where it can linger in the air for days and days. This is, comes from your saliva and your, your, your bodily fluids. And getting into other people's nose, mouth, and eyes. So, we, you know, it's going to be different everywhere, but most people are touched by this in some way. This is the first time the whole country's been touched by something like this. Since World War II. Even Vietnam. There were plenty of people, they knew somebody, but there were plenty of people, nobody in their family. You know, it was just a story on TV. Gulf War, definitely, that's the case. The, the modern wars, definitely, that's the case. Even people that know somebody, like, so we've lost so few people in reality in combat compared to something like World War II. In World War II, we had rationing nationwide. Not to the level they did in England, but we did. Remember my grandpa, grandma telling me you couldn't even get pantyhose? I mean, not that I would care, but, I mean, that's pretty basic. I remember my grandmother telling me in some parts of the country, because they were worried about being bombed, If you drove a car at night, you had to have the top of your headlights painted. In some places, all the windows had to be closed, lights out by a certain time. Like, It affected everybody. So the fact that this affected everybody is going to wake up a large majority of the people. That means everybody is going to be on some level of prepper. At least when you hear something might happen, they're going to take it a little more seriously. Well, that's an opportunity because those people are going to need help. They're going to need supplies. They're going to need a logical, rational way to do this without everybody freaking out and trying to go to super prepper at one time. You don't need to be super prepper. I'm telling you, you get to two weeks as fast as you can. You do the same thing and you're at a month. You do the same thing one more time, you're at 60 days. If we have 60 days of what I call real strategic distributed strategic reserves in our homes in America, imagine how much easier we could get through something like this. There's another pandemic, and there probably will be someday. We could stop it, but cold. Next, gardens, poultry, CSA type businesses, farming with local distribution. This is all about to explode. This is all about to explode. Because right now, how many people are out there going, gee, I, I you know, I saw all those things about people on TV. They have these little local farms, backyard spin farming. Greenhouse growing, hydroponics, indoor growing, all these different ways people grow food, selling to their local communities. Gee, I wish one of those was here now. How much more receptive will people be to, hey, guess what? We're starting a little small backyard farm right now. We're going to do a share of vegetables once a week for 30 bucks. Would you like to sign up? People that would have said, nah, I get it cheaper at this grocery store. You don't think they're going to be more receptive to that right now? You don't think that more small governments that restrict this type of thing, that say you can't have a chicken or you can't have a farm, are going to be like, you know, um, maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe that was a bad idea. Now, look, I'm not going to say every, every every community is going to become libertarian to this stuff overnight, but I am saying the reception is going to be much better, much, much better. So you need to start thinking what is the garden or poultry or CSA type or farming with local distribution business that I can either start or or buy from how many t- how do you you know some of you maybe what you're going to look to is well there's this person in the neighborhood that kind of like grows a great big garden right now you know if 10 people or 20 people went to them and said we would all buy stuff if you would go bigger they might say well I can do that or they might say well here's what I need to be able to do that True community-supported agriculture, where the community literally figures out who among us or whom among us is best to do this. How do we support you and get you going? People building templates for this. So then when somebody's like, I want to do this, I don't know how. We call it a business plan in the business world. None of this is hard. A lot of it's difficult to do, but it's not hard, as in there's no understanding of how to do it. So I think there's a massive plan there. Business planning. How many businesses were caught unaware here? I think it's going to become the general course of business that is part of your strategic business plan. You have a plan. What do we do if we have to shut down for 30 days or 60 days? Most businesses have no plan for that. What if you're good at that? You can be a consultant and help businesses do that. What if you're inside your own, like you work for a company right now that makes it through this? You might want to, you might want to start doing your logistical planning for what your company can do. And you might want to stick your hand up as someone that volunteers within your company to help make this happen when this goes away. So that this doesn't happen to your company again. You might want to develop the skill set right now. And you might want to think about exactly how do you set up a business in your world? Because the one thing I can tell you about anybody out there that's employed, you're employed in a niche of a niche. There's something about what you do that's unique. Even if you like, well, I'm a nurse. How many nurses are there? You know, I don't mean body count. I mean, how many kinds? You're a surgical nurse. You're a scrub nurse. You're an ER nurse. You work in an outpatient clinic. You work in an elective surgery. Cl- I mean, you see what I'm saying? There's like dozens just of nurse. Niche of a niche. You're a computer operator. What kind? You know? In what sector? You're a, a, a recruiter that recruits people into a, a business, or I'm or, sorry, into a position. One of my companies I was a partner in, we did technical recruiting. You need a guy that can work on a 20 year old software system in Singapore tomorrow? We can get you one. I know you have lots of people in Singapore that are really smart, but they don't know this legacy system. We can find you one and have them on a plane tomorrow. Boy, we'd be screwed right now because that business had a lot of redundancy, but we didn't have a plan for this. Wherever you are, if you have the mindset to develop the fallback plan, start developing it. And then when you go back to work, say, I got a plan. I want to be part of the key planning team. All of a sudden, you've gone from being a low-level employee to somebody that's critically important. And if your company doesn't come back and you start looking for a job and you're sitting down in front of somebody and they say, you know with the with the the change in the economy, we've got a lot more people to pick from. Why should I pick you against these other three qualified applicants? Because not only am I qualified, I'm already developing redundancy planning in case this happens again, so that I don't lose my job and so you don't lose your company. You don't think I'm going to hire you if you tell me that, and nobody else does. you don't think I'm at least going to actually look at what you have to say and consider you more deeply? You need to be thinking about the other side of this right now and what you're going to do when it hits. Because there's no guarantee you're going to have a job. There's no guarantee they're going to fix everything. There's a guarantee they're not going to fix everything. I personally feel the recovery will be faster than most people think right now. But it's still going to leave people behind. You want a competitive advantage, you think about how you fit into this new reality with what you know. Next, Radical transformation of education. I've been actually forecasting the death of higher education as we know it for a long time. Liberal arts degrees and stuff like that. People spending 80, $120,000 to come out with a degree that, you know, doesn't make them marketable. People are learning right now that a lot of what they learn in college can be learned online, can be learned with distance learning, and can be done for a lot less money. It was already on the downslide. There were already universities. There's actually been universities that have closed their doors, shut parts of campuses. A couple have sold their campuses in the last few years. I think you're going to see this dog pile on. You're going to see the size of some major universities. Now, you know, Harvard and Yale and Columbia and all, they're not going anywhere. This, the, the, the wealthy will always want to send their kids off to four years of that experience or whatever. But man, we have way more colleges and way more people in them than we need right now. When you look at what people are coming out being able to actually do. So the development of new educational platforms. And you might want to think about that. Because I want you to think about these educational platforms. I can't think of the one right now that everybody uses for this already. But more and more of them are going to come out. I want you to think about it more like eBay. Then fill in the blank university. Because what if you can start developing training programs specific to what you know for your employer or for other employers? And one of the things you can go to them with is, I understand that you need 20 people that can do this. I have a course that teaches people how to do this. I don't just want to do this for you. I want to be part of getting your team to be the best possible. At doing this thing, and you got to think about it a hundred. Like, don't, don't drill down into only what I'm saying in each of these areas. Expand it. What can you do with this type of thinking? Next, there's going to be a massive increase in telecommuting. I would be looking for a job right now that I can do by telecommuting. To telecommuting, I'd look for anybody that is working telecommuting right now. What do you do? More and more companies are going to be receptive to this, not just it happening all the time. Okay. You know, where the person always telecommutes, but gee, we want to be able to have our people telecommute, even if most of them still come to the office on a daily basis. Cause if this happens again, we want that to be part of our, of our response to the situation. And I think that it's going to be a great time to find a job where you get to telecommute, even when times are good. And let me tell you something. I did a lot of years as an employee and, and owner before I went to podcasting full-time. And I did a lot of those years as a telecommuter. It's way better. It's so much better. Telecommuting to work is so much better than having to go to an office that I would compare it this way. If you've ever flown Coach on an airplane and flown first class, the difference there, telecommuting is better than flying first class instead of coach. If you've ever gotten stuck flying coach on an airplane, in the middle seat with three seats, in the very back of the airplane where the seat doesn't recline, versus sitting in the best first seat off the plane and on the plane for first class, it's it's better than that differential. And now imagine you fly every day. That's how much better it is. So telecommuting is going to be an opportunity for people that can empower it, enable it, train workforces to do it, all different types of entrepreneurial things. But it's just going to be an opportunity in of itself. And it's again, it's so much better. Let me tell you what it isn't before you delude yourself. It is not a valid childcare um, solution. You cannot take care of young children and telecommute and do your job, unless maybe you have a job that is a 20-hour-a-week job, and then you probably can. But you know what, once your kids get to the point where you can say, hey, Johnny, do your work online, yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is at that point. So uh, massive increase there. And the last thing I want to say, though, about this in this segment is beware of prepping for the last disaster, too, specifically. You notice what I didn't say? I didn't say everybody, when this is over, should get ready for the next pandemic. I said everybody should take the steps necessary to be able to do fairly well for a minimum of 30 and, and try to get to 60, and more is better, 90s great, days without systems of support. I have said, again, for 12 years now, we do not prepare for specific disasters. We prepare to deal without systems of support. Because what's going to happen when this is over is everybody's going to have 495 masks in their closet. And rubber gloves. And hand sanitizer and bleach. And probably, probably some nutritional supplements. And maybe even, maybe even some medications. And everybody's going to be ready for the next pandemic. And you know what? If everybody's ready for the next pandemic, we'll be better for it. But we won't be as well off as we'll be if people are just more mindset of, I am prepared. To be at home with my family, a month, two, three, whatever it is, I'm prepared for that. I'm prepared for that. That's the mindset I've been trying to teach America and we need, we, God, please America listen to me. We cannot let this horrible thing that's happened to us not give us this one freaking gift. There's one thing we can get out of this that there's no reason not to get. One. Never again. Now, that's fanciful. Because sooner or later, people forget. We did. Never again in our lifetimes. That we can do. There will, You know, if we have enough good times in the future, the fourth turning will occur again. And eventually, all of us old folks will be gone. All of our kids will be gone. Our grandkids will be old people that barely remember this because they were too young to really take in what it was. And no one will listen to them just the way nobody listens to us today. And it will be forgotten. But if you're 20, you can be part of this being not, not, not in my lifetime. Never again. Never again will we be caught this unaware to the fact that things can go wrong on this level of the scale. And whether we like how it came or not, that's a gift. I grew up sitting on my grandfather's knee, my old Ukrainian grandfather, sitting on his knee on weekends. And he would tell me stories, you know, the old fables. And one he told me every weekend, it seemed like, it was the Ant and the Grasshopper. So, let me finish today with the real story of the ant and the grasshopper. Which is fitting because it's where this show started. It's where I started. Was telling that story a lot. It's time to tell it again. So one day the ant goes out in the field and he's working and he's storing up everything he needs to get through winter. And the grasshopper sees the ant and says, Ant, what's wrong with you? Grasshopper. or the ant tells the grasshopper, Look, these days of summer are going to end. It's all going to go away. It's going to be very cold, and all the food it won't be here anymore. It'll be snow, and I and my family were working really hard, and we're taking everything that we need, we're putting it in our home, and we're getting ready. We're getting ready for winter because we know winter will come. The grasshopper said, "You're crazy, nuts! Look at everything's wonderful," and he fiddled and he farted around. Time went on. Time went on. Month after month. And things actually seemed to just get better for the grasshopper. Even when, the, when it didn't rain as much and the grass kind of browned up a little bit, grasshoppers love that. And then fall came and the weather was even better. It was beautiful. The wind started to turn cold and the ants picked up their effort. Not the grasshopper. This is the best time so far, said the grasshopper. And then one day, it got really cold. The wind blew in through the north and the snowflakes fell. And the grasshopper got really cold. He started to shiver. There was nothing left to eat. And he wanted to go into the hole with the ants. And the ants told him, we warned you. And in the real story, the grasshopper dies. It's not the Disney remake. That's the real story. That's the original fable. And the truth is, if a grasshopper knocks on the door of ants, they eat them. That's the real story but we used to tell kids that story and we didn't think they couldn't handle it. What we thought they couldn't handle was not being prepared. That's what we thought they couldn't handle. Not they couldn't handle the truth. What they couldn't handle was not being prepared if something went wrong. We need to reestablish in this country that preparedness is a virtue. We hear a lot of the term virtue signaling, don't we? Virtues are not bad. I'm not a fan of virtue signaling. Virtues in themselves are a good thing. Kindness is a virtue. Courage is a virtue. Charity is a virtue. Preparedness is a virtue. If we get nothing else from this, we owe it to our children, to our grandchildren, and to the grandchildren or great-grandchildren, we'll never know. We owe it to him to restore that in the world as a whole, but we're Americans, most of us on the line. If you're not, wherever you are listening to this today, you do it where you are. We need to restore this concept, and we need a new strategic reserves. Strategic reserves that are centralized, we're seeing the flaw with that right now. We need distributed strategic reserves of food, medicine, protective equipment, knowledge, capability. We need to establish that. I've been trying to get people to think that way for a decade. I think reality is a better teacher, and I think it's coming. I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you to all of you on Facebook um, who are here for the live stream. As I wrap up the show today, I'm going to go ahead and kill that stream and upload it for you guys. Um, everybody else, uh, you hang on, and we'll go through our closing segment here. So if you like this show, if you got anything good out of it, I just want you to know that I have a membership program that gives you discounts on a lot of things. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of my vendors are so out of stuff right now, I don't know how much help it would be. Um, but I do a membership program, and I'm going to have a, a code in the show notes, and that membership is usually $50 for a year. I'm going to offer that membership for the next 30 days to anybody that wants it for $25. Um, you can get it for 25 bucks. try it out, and if you don't like it, cancel. And if you really don't like it, you can cancel, and you can send me your money back. All you got to do to do that is go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. And um, I appreciate any one of you that supports my show that way. It's the primary way that we've taken care of things, uh, again, for over a decade now. And uh, I've had very few people say that it's not worth the money. Uh, over the years, uh, it does some other things, but the main thing it gives you is discounts to people that sell the type of things that we talk about here. The other way is you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's t s p a z tspaz.com. Um, if you uh, if you if you if you check out tspaz.com, you'll see all the things that I recommend. And as long as you start your shopping there, you help us, no matter what you buy when you shop online. Today's item of the day is kind of a weird item of the day, given it's the middle of a pandemic. Um, But it is a, uh, it's called flour sack towels. They're made by a company called Utopia Kitchen. The main reason I've recommended them in the past, I teach a lot of homesteading and stuff like that. And one of the things I teach is people to cook their own food and make things really, you know, great. And I teach a method of making a really simple cheese like product. It's really a yogurt. But basically, you put yogurt in uh, a cheesecloth and you strain it and then you mix other things in it for flavor and it thickens up and gets tangy and you kind of use it sort of like cream cheese. It's also known as lebna. It's called yogurt cheese. And there's a lot of recipes in the write-up today. Um, But the reason that I actually brought this item around today is we use them over the weekend for things we normally use paper towels for. Like my wife made zucchini lasagna because we do low-carb. And she drained the zucchini on them instead of a paper towel since paper towels are short right now. So these will do a lot of things that you would normally use a disposable item for. But yet, when you're done with them, you throw them in the washing machine on the gentle cycle or whatever, and you hang them up the dryer, you dry them in the dryer, and you use them again. And I think right now is a great time to think about... What can I replace something that's normally disposable with that's reusable? So even if you don't need these, I just want you to think that way. So that's why I chose this for the segment today. That brings us to um, our song of the day today. And song of the day today is the beginning of what's going to be Kenny Rogers Week. And the reason John Adam decided to do Kenny Rogers Week this week is, of course, um, Kenny just passed away. Uh, his cause of death is not coronavirus, at least as far as I know, it was listed uh, as natural causes at the age of 81. And if you're around my age, you know, mid-tier Gen X or almost 50 now, um, you know, it's almost impossible that you grew up without Kenny Rogers having some impact on your life. Like, he was a megastar in the world of country music. And even people that didn't listen to country music, I mean, he was on on the pop stations uh, with some of his music long before, uh, you know, crossover music was a thing. And he's just a really nice guy. And he's got some classics that are the songs that if somebody knows how to play it on a guitar and they start playing it at a party or something, everybody's going to sing that song. Today is one of those songs. A lot of times when we do artists featured, we take their lesser-known music or whatever. With Kenny, we're going to kind of go with the things everybody knows because, you know, just like everybody started watching I Love Lucy after 9-11, times are stressful, like things that are just old and kind of nostalgic just feel good. And I think a lot of people right now are looking forward to when you can get together in a big group again and maybe have a sing-along. Well, maybe do one over the phone with Skype or something. I don't know. But um, you could do worse than Kenny Rogers. This song is The Gambler. And I think I'll just let the song be what it is. it is. I don't need to have any big, deep lessons about it. But I believe this is a song that if you, if you picked up a guitar and a group of people somewhere in a bar or a party or something like that, and everybody just quieted down, and that person playing the guitar was pretty good and could sing. I don't think he could get through the first verse. At least the first, as soon as you hit the first chorus, everybody sings along. We need kind of everybody singing along right now with getting through this. And we can do it. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. On a warm
1: summer's eve On a train bound for I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness Till boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying You gotta learn to play it right, cause you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the deal ain't done. Every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away, knowing what to keep. Cause every hand's a winner, and every hand's a loser. And the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. The gambler he broke even But in his final words I found an ace that I could keep You got no know when to hold Know when to fall down, Know when to walk away And know when to run You need to count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough to count. When the deal done, you got no when to hold, when to hold. no when, when to fold up, no when, when to walk away, and no when to run. You never count your money, when you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting, when the deal done, you got no when to hold no when to fold up. Walk away And know when to run You never have your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough